sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. We are recording in the midst of a pandemic, and it's time to have a straight conversation about how the church in America is conducting itself during this pandemic. Now, most of us that attend church are attending churches that are not meeting, and we're making the best of it. We're doing Zoom programs and finding ways around the fact that there's restrictions in place. But there's a few churches that are standing up and yelling and screaming about their First Amendment rights and conducting religious services in person. In my own community, there's a church that is not only meeting inside, but they are packing the church and no one's wearing a mask and they're not social distancing. They're doing everything, all the hugging and everything that we do in church and basically thumbing their nose at the pandemic. So first things first, let's put this in a constitutional context because there are pastors who are saying, the government has no right to tell us we can't go to church. Well, there's a very simple, clear answer to that. You're wrong. You're simply wrong. And the courts have been saying so. There is no First Amendment right to risk the life and health of your church members by conducting church indoors in person. That right does not exist. There is the First Amendment has always required a balance. But in the last three decades, that balance has weighed greatly on the side of the state. So the generally applicable restrictions on in-person gatherings are absolutely valid as a public health measure. So let's start there. So the legal action is really around this notion of churches are being treated unfairly. Well, why are churches being, in what way are churches being treated unfairly? Well, one way is claimed that other things are considered, quote, essential services, but our faith, our worship is being disrespected because it's not being treated as an essential service. And of course, you know that uh, President Trump declared that churches are essential services. But, you know, that was so much hot air, frankly, because the regulations are imposed by states and by local cities, and the federal government has pretty much stayed out of all of that. So that really had little force or effect. But, you know, as I look at these measures, the states are not saying that churches are essential or inessential. What they're doing is they're saying meeting in person, whether it's movie theaters or restaurants or concert halls or sports arenas, this is inherently dangerous. And for people to gather in a church indoors, um, many of the states are saying this is uh, sufficiently dangerous that we're going to take a pause. 
because we don't want people getting sick and we don't want people dying. As I'm sitting here recording today, more than 175,000 Americans have died of this virus, and many more have had very serious illnesses and uh, impacts on their life. And of course, we've all had enormous changes economically in our day-to-day existence. The impact has been enormous. But my belief from the beginning has been we need to come together and we need to solve this problem as a community, not divide us. And I'm frankly very, very disappointed in those churches that have become rebellious and are rebelling against efforts to protect public health. There are two great commandments in the scripture, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you don't have to be in church to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to tell them, come together, even at the risk of getting sick and dying. And so you say, as some do, well, the risk is greatest for people who are old, who have you know health problems. Great. So maybe you go to church and you're healthy and you're younger, and maybe you become a carrier and you go visit a family member and you pass it on to them. And maybe they're older. Maybe they have some health issues. Uh, you know, it's just not safe. During the Dark Ages, the Jews were blamed for the Black Plague because they were the only community that was practicing sanitation according to the scriptures, that they were taking care of their business away from where they live, away from their homes, and they weren't having the spread of disease to the same degree that others were. Leviticus uh, clearly lays out that you do have a precedent for quarantining people who are suspected of being sick, that they not spread the disease to others until it's clear that they can be uh, certified as not being contagious. This is biblical, that God is concerned for our health. You know, Hebrews, I want to say Hebrews 12, uh, and Hebrews 10.26, I think, is the verse, is a very slim read where it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of some. Well, okay, God wants us to build community. I get that. We all do. And the community of the church means an awful lot to all of us who care about church. You know what? We have to adapt. We have to find ways to build community that may not be simply getting together week in and week out. Maybe we have to break out of our comfort zone and we've got to form some new habits. We've got to discover some new ways. You know, here's the thing. The church has suffered a great deal throughout the centuries. And around the world, there are places where the church is truly suffering, places like China, for example, and throughout much of the Middle East, where worship is even outlawed in places, and many places where Christians are actually persecuted. Well, you know, Christians whine if a court says, hey, 
you know, we're going to fine you if you keep violating the law, if you keep exposing everybody to this public health risk. And we complain about that. I haven't seen it actually enforced, but I've seen the threat of enforcement. I know of only one church that's actually been padlocked as a result of their determined to keep meeting. Um, for my money, please don't meet. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you have influence in your church, please, if you're going to meet, meet outdoors. And okay, where I live, it's hot. It's 95 degrees today. It's kind of humid. And I'm in Southern California. This is really hot for us. If you have to meet at seven o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning to have your Bible study, to have your worship service at church, you know, there are ways to meet safely. There are ways to worship safely. We can draw near to God. And I would add, Protestants are the least disadvantaged of any of the major faith groups by the restrictions. Because, you know, we can worship remotely. We can find ways to do this. Catholics, Orthodox, it's awfully hard to take communion remotely. Um, Jews require a minimum of 10 to pray, to have their public worship. So it's much easier for us as Protestants, and yet the Protestants are the ones who are causing the most trouble here. But now, at least one of my colleagues has accused me of actually being anti-Christian because I don't believe that the church's role right now is suing the states because of these restrictions. I don't believe it. I don't believe that's right. I think we need to be cooperating in trying to get a handle on this virus and saving people's lives. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And if we are truly pro-life and committed to life, then how can we, you know, tell people, oh, well, you know, you know, you come to worship God, God's going to protect you from getting sick. Well, there are pastors who've said that who have died of the virus. So it's just plain bad theology. There's no, you know, magic wand here. Um, God has given us a brain and expects us to use it for, for heaven's sake. Um, here in California and in some other states, back in May, churches, both Protestant and Catholic, we're putting a lot of pressure on, on the governor, on the state, to reopen sooner than the scientifically-based plan that had been laid out carefully in consultation with the public health people and the epidemiologists and all that. It's a four-stage plan of strategic reopening. We didn't follow the plan. The state of California caved in to the pressures to reopen faster. April and May were good months. We flattened the curve going into the end of May. California was doing very well. We reopened the end of May. Two, three weeks later, you look at those charts and we took off and the incidence of infections and deaths exploded. And we eventually surpassed New York State for the most number of infections and you know, who knows? Maybe we'll overtake New York in terms of deaths as well. I certainly hope not. Folks, are we truly, as Christians, are we pro-life? Do we really care about people's lives and health? 
If we do, these are not legal issues. And the church is largely losing the legal battles. Now, are there jurisdictions that really are treating churches less favorably than comparably placed other groups? Yeah, and churches are occasionally winning some of these challenges. But that doesn't mean that we should be meeting in person. That's just not safe. So, yeah, some governments are struggling to get it right. And I get that when Las Vegas tries to reopen, you know, its casinos and not its churches, well, that doesn't make sense to us, right? But it does make a certain perverse sense, and it's perfectly consistent with the character of Las Vegas, right? Because the casinos are the basis of its economy. So I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I understand, you know, the peculiar thing that is Las Vegas. But even if Las Vegas is willing to risk people's lives and health in casinos, does that mean we should put our own church members and visitors to the same risk in our churches? You know, I'm hearing something that my mother might have said to me more than once. Uh, Two wrongs don't make a right. I'm quite sure your mother said that to you as well. No? You know, the comparator is not to say, oh, well, the state says like it does here in California, well, uh, liquor stores are considered essential services and they're allowed to remain open, but the church is not. That's not the comparison. You know, it makes for great propaganda. It, it's the kind of thing that's going to get your motor going. It's going to get you fired up and you're going to want to support those organizations that are asking for your money to fight the good fight. Is it really the good fight? Is it really to fight against government for the right to risk people's lives and health? I really don't think so. Well, that's it for today, folks. I sure hope you rethink this whole business of the church and the coronavirus restrictions. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rynock. Until next week, keep freedom ringing.